Well, hey, folks, uh, we are in the middle of a series in the book of Romans. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And though we've been going through the book of Romans, uh, we're going to stop at this point in Romans and kind of fixate here for a few weeks. Because the topic that we'll be dealing with today, the topic of spiritual gifts, is one that Paul covers in part in Romans 12. And then he also covers it in 1 Corinthians 12. And he also covers it in Ephesians 4. And there are other places in the New Testament where Paul and others speak about spiritual gifts. And so what I want to do today is go through this part of Romans and then kind of hold there for the next few Sundays and talk about some of the other passages that refer to spiritual gifts. And I want to say in, uh, in just kind of by way of introduction, you know, recently the Lord has been uh, convicting me personally of some blind spots that I think I have uh, had recently as a pastor. I think one of the greatest challenges of being a pastor is trying to balance and juggle the many different plates uh, at one time. Uh, James, contrary to popular opinion, pastors do work more than Sunday morning. And they have, they have a few plates. I know James believes that. He just likes to razz me. Uh, in the balancing act, as, as I try to juggle different plates, uh, it's easy to lose sight of some of the more important plates. And uh, I think that, you know, in the weekly routine of, you know, lots of, of study, uh, of meetings, of organizing calendars and Boy, I can't stand email anymore. I'm sure you can relate. Um, but in the weekly routine, I'm, I believe I've lost sight of one area in particular of leadership that is an essential key to a healthy church. And that is the issue of empowering the church body. Empowering the church body to serve. You'll notice on your outline... From the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul's words with respect to some of the spiritual gifts. Notice what he says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The ministry of the church is accomplished by the members. And the members get equipped to do ministry by the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. What Paul is basically essentially saying here is that those with those five gifts are those who build up the rest of the body to carry out the work of the ministry on a day-by-day basis. As D.L. Moody used to say, it's better to put ten men to work than to do the work of ten men. And so whenever a ministry is lackluster, whenever a church's ministry efforts are a bit uninspired, much of the responsibility of that lifelessness falls on the leaders, and in particular the pastor. And I, I, I have said to many of you, I think we've, we've come out of a year, 2010, which was a little bit of sluggishness for some of us. A little bit of, 
of a lackluster spirit. And I've mentioned this. I've had conversations with many of you and I've found agreement and commonality. I think we all have understood that 2010, I think, was a more difficult year. It may be in the last five years of the life of our own church. And I've, uh, I, I personally take a lot of responsibility for that. Because as pastor, uh, I am very much responsible for making sure that the body remains inspired and equipped for service. And so God has been convicting me as I'm approaching Romans 12, convicting me of this aspect of church ministry. Of course, the Bible, uh, the Bible tells me that God especially delights in showing Himself strong in the midst of weakness. And so I think it is no small coincidence that we are where we are in the letter to the Romans. I believe God is Himself right now intervening and showing us as a whole church and me as a pastor a glaring area of weakness where we need to learn how to empower better. Empower for service better. You see, in the next section in Romans, where we are today, I feel that it's absolutely no coincidence. In this next section, Paul's going to be dealing with how to attain and carry out our individual role in the body of Christ. He's going to be particularly focused on the issue of spiritual gifts. He's going to be talking about how we, both as individuals... And as a whole church body can work together for the sake of the ministry. Paul's words and instructions in Romans 12 are going to be meeting us at precisely the right time. Um, In earlier earlier preparation for this message, I had in mind, weeks back I had in mind to just kind of skate through Romans 12 and finish it at the end of of, uh, January and then continue with Romans 13 starting in February. And I I put a halt to that earlier this week because I realized that we really do need to pause here for a while and explore some of the other scriptures about this topic and really get down to the nuts and bolts. So for the next few Sundays, we are going to study the issue of spiritual gifts in detail. We're going to take stock of what our gifts are. Uh, We're going to be taking an assessment a little bit later on, not today, uh, but we're going to be taking uh, stock of what our spiritual gift or gifts may be. And we're going to be identifying precisely, and I mean precisely, ways in which we can use those gifts. I I want you at the end of these few weeks of study to be able to say, this is my gift, or these are my gifts, and this is how I'm going to use it, starting today. And many of you are already doing that, but so many of you aren't. And so we're going to do this together. We're going to refine this together. So the title of this series of messages is, What's My Gift and How Can I Use It? And the part one here, uh, starting today, is getting acquainted with spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Now, as I've said, this, this part in Romans is kind of the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. We saw in your outline, there's a, there's a kind of a breakdown of uh, these chapters in Romans. Romans 12, 13, 14 to about 15, verse 13. And the, the chapter breakdowns are all revolving around the idea of, of ethics or how to live. Okay? And in chapter 12, it's all going to be focused on you as an individual. How should you live? How should you live as an individual in the church? 
how should you live as an individual at home, etc. It's going to be talking about you and individual ethics. When we get to chapter 13, we'll get to what's called societal ethics. How do you relate to the government? How do you relate to your neighbor? Those kinds of issues. And then in chapter 14 to 15, verse 13, we get to one of my favorite parts of Romans, and it talks about church ethics, how to, how to relate within the body of Christ. And we're going to be touching on it here with spiritual gifts, but he's really going to get down to some of the nuts and bolts of relationship by chapter 14. But for now, on the individual Christian's role, that's Romans 12. And Paul has mentioned, he's just mentioned, we studied it last week, how we can best serve God and experience the Christian life in full. And he says it starts with our mind, the renewing of our mind. But now he moves on from the renewing of the mind to teach how Christians can begin to thrive as a part of the body of Christ. How they individually can begin to thrive as a part of the body of Christ. And Paul's going to give some instructions on that here. So would you stand with me as we read our portion of Romans today? We're going to be reading from Romans 12, beginning in verse 3 and continuing on to verse 8 today. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in our physical body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, I pray that You would open our hearts this morning. I pray that You would open our eyes. God, we are not here by accident. And we're not here in the book of Romans by accident. And so, Lord, may this study in spiritual gifts, may this look at how to empower one another for service. How You, Lord, through Your Spirit, have gifted us to serve the body of Christ. Lord, let us learn this. Let us identify what these gifts are. Let us know precisely how to use them. We want to be empowered, Lord. We want to know what it is that we can do in Your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't have the, uh, no PowerPoint today. I, I was getting, uh, quite frankly, sick of the computer this week. So, let's go, let's go old school. Grab your Bible, huh? Alright, Romans uh, 12, beginning in verse 3 again, Paul writes, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, we've already covered this verse last week. We've covered actually three through five uh, from last week. But I wanted to reiterate this again to point out the end of verse three. At the end of verse three, Paul writes, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
Now, I'm taking that phrase, as God has dealt to each one, a measure of faith, and I'm saying you're going to need to look down at verse 6 to understand what Paul means there. Because in verse 6, Paul gives further explanation on what is this uh, what is this dealing of a measure of faith? What is Paul speaking about? What has God given to us? What has He dealt to us? Is it, is it, does, it, does He mean that some of us have been given small faith or big faith? That, that's what a lot of people have questions about in verse 3. But by verse 6, He answers the question. He says in verse 6, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them." So right there, Paul uses similar terminology to discuss what it is that God has given you. The measure of faith that God has given you in verse 3 is the gift or the gift of grace that God has given you in verse 6. It is your spiritual gift or gifts. This is the topic that Paul is moving toward. God has given each one of you a measure of faith. That is to say, a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. And he expects you to use them in the body of Christ. God has given us gifts. He's given us gifts that differ according to the grace of God. And this for Paul was of great importance. Now, occasionally Paul would signal his interest in a topic by using what's called alliteration. And that is to say that the, the words all sound the same for a period of time. And here where it says gifts differing according to grace, in Greek it reads charismata kata ten karin. Charismata kata ten karin. So you can see the, the alliteration that Paul uses here to focus in. It's not quite, you know, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, but it's close to that. Uh, he wants to draw attention here. And using charismata and karin, gifts and grace in such close proximity, Along with charismata kata ten karin, Paul's saying, listen to this. I'm saying something unique. I'm saying something poetic because I want you to listen to this carefully. All this is to say that spiritual gifts are very important to Paul. And he spoke about them often. In fact, we are in one of four major Bible sections on spiritual gifts. I've listed them for you on your outline. Now, we, we come to this one in Romans 12, uh, verses uh, 6, 7, and 8 in particular. And then there's also uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But also, I, I, I carry that forward into chapter 13 and 14 because it is in chapter 14 uh, where Paul really explains a couple of those gifts in particular, prophecy and tongues. And then you've got Ephesians 4, uh, believe verse, starting verse 7 to verse 16. Uh, where Paul details in particular uh, uh, five, uh, five gifts. And then you've also got 1 Peter chapter 4, in which Peter speaks of the gifts in kind of general categories. So Paul is the author of three of the four major Bible sections on spiritual gifts. And I encourage you uh, in the coming weeks, make these passages part of your um, time with God. Make these, pass these four passages a part of your regular study in the next few weeks. I think you will uh, really grow from it. Despite the attention that uh, spiritual gifts receives in the New Testament, statistics show that Christians uh, really are not very aware of what their gift is. On your outline there, in a survey of Christians, 
who profess knowledge of spiritual gifts. These are Christians who know about spiritual gifts. George Barner reports that 69% claim they do not know the identity of their gift or gifts. 69%. One, excuse me, seven out of ten, if, if stats are right, seven out of ten in this room. I, I'm quite sure most all of us are aware of spiritual gifts, at least on some level. Seven out of ten of you do not know what it is. I want you to think in your heart right now. Do I know what it is? Do I know what my gift is or are? Am I one of those seven? Or have I come to an awareness of my gifting? You know what? If you haven't, it's okay. Because you're going to. And you're going to this month. We're going to be looking and studying the gifts. I'm going to be be putting forward questions that will help you understand whether or not that gift relates to you. And toward the end, we're going to be taking an assessment. Now, again, you know, this is a, a matter of the Spirit. This is charismata, gifts of the Spirit. This is not a mathematical formula, but nevertheless, a, an assessment, a spiritual gift assessment, can be a very handy tool in understanding what your gift is and how you can use it. But uh, we, we really haven't even discussed the, the definition yet. What is a spiritual gift? I gave you, I didn't want to recreate the wheel here, so I gave you two of some of the better definitions I found uh, in my studies. The Nelson Bible Dictionary uh, comments on your outline, special gifts, this is, this is in re- definition of spiritual gift, it's a special, uh, special gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit upon Christians for the purpose of building up the church. I think that's a good definition. Uh, ISBE also notes that spiritual gifts are particularly intended to enhance the community, the worship, and the service of locally gathered Christians and thereby to enrich the whole church. I might add to that maybe the, the, the purity of the church as well, just kind of the, the, uh, the, the, the vision of the church, the, the, the unity of the church, which it kind of mentions there in community. But what about some purposes of spiritual gifts? There are, there are many. And I'm only listing five here, but these are, these are some practical ones, some basic ones. The first purpose of uh, spiritual gifts is to benefit the whole church. It is literally, it, it is just a, a benefit. It is a, a profitable thing for the church to participate in spiritual gifts. You will, uh, if you haven't been, been using your gift, you're going to see benefits not only in your own life, but in the whole life of the church. It is to benefit the whole church. Two, it is to serve fellow Christians. Spiritual gifts are meant to be used for others. Those who have the gift of teaching, guess what you're supposed to do? Teach others. Those who have the gift of serving, serve others. Those who have the gift of mercy, show compassion and mercy to others. It is meant to be used in service. Number three, to equip others for ministry. And that's particularly focused on those, on those five gifts in Ephesians. Those uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those with those five gifts are particularly called to use those gifts to equip the body of Christ. And so we, we can look at those as perhaps more leading gifts. Uh, that, that lead the body and the rest of the body follows 
and, uh, and contributes. Four, it is to spur on everyone's maturity in the faith. Paul writes about that we all may come to a perfect man, to a perfect knowledge of God. And uh, that's the goal here in the church. When we're using our gift, the goal is maturity in the, in the church. Fifth and finally, to bring glory to God. Glory to God, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.11. These are five simple purposes. You can check those passages again on your own, but I want to move a little closer here as we, as we get closer to verse 6. But first, verse 4. Each of us have been gifted and we're all unique. And that's precisely what Paul says in Romans 12.4. He says, for we all, uh, for as we have many members in one body, that is one physical body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The physical body has many parts, but and none of these parts are independent of one another. They can't function apart from the other parts. So also is the church. The church is made up of many individual parts. There are many individuals in the pew today. But all, all of the individuals here in the congregation today are not independent of one another. We may think we are at times. We may think that we're kind of a, a lone ranger, that we can do things on our own. But the Bible tell, tells a very different story. We are dependent upon one another to function properly. That is why Paul writes at the end of verse 5, and individually members of one another. We're members of one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we carry out our individual part, we also need to be a part of the body of Christ. Because we cannot function properly unless we are all connected. Now Paul continues to verse 6, which is the topic of our series, Spiritual Gifts. Beginning in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, or maybe a better word, graciousness. Alright, here today, you will meet seven of the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Um, there's, and I'm not going to get into all the debates on how many gifts there are. I'm going to show you the gifts that I see in Scripture. And if you see a few more, we can discuss it. I'm just going to focus on those four passages I've listed there. And the gifts that show up there, I'm going to show to you. And then, then there are others. Some people would add to that maybe a gift of hospitality. Others would add a gift of uh, what's called involuntary poverty. I, I saw a lot of readings on that, which was a unique gift. I, I, didn't, I didn't find it to be a gift, but nevertheless, it's something that some people do. Um, and I think is admirable. Um, I don't think it's a spiritual gift, but I could be wrong. I'm going to focus on what the, these four main passages say are spiritual gifts. And we'll leave the rest uh, to some speculation. Um, now, and again, that, this doesn't mean that, that we don't have other natural abilities that can't uh, enhance the body. 
uh, enhance the body of Christ. For instance, music. Music is not uh, pointedly listed as a spiritual gift or the gift of worship. It's not mentioned as a spiritual gift in Paul or Peter's writings. Yet, we all know that those who are gifted musicians, like the ones we have here, are those who enhance the life of the church. And so, we recognize them as a gift to the church, though we may not be able to precisely call music or worship a spiritual gift. And so, I want to I reserve the term charismata, or spiritual gift, only for those that Paul and Peter mention. And there are other abilities and there are other talents that enhance the body. But let's stick with the Scriptures first and then continue to broaden out. So, you're going to meet seven gifts today. We're going to go through them very practically and pragmatically. Uh, and we're going to start with a very easy one. So, let's start with the gift of prophecy. Okay, good. The jokes are working today. Doug, Doug, you got the biggest laughter. I like that. I like that. The gift of prophecy is not an easy gift, actually, to understand. Uh, so we are going to go through a very difficult gift to understand right now. Now, you may suppose, as we come to the gift of prophecy, Paul, Paul by the way, he writes, uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Okay. Now, we may suppose, as, as English speakers, that the gift of prophecy is entirely, and I mean entirely, related to foretelling the future. Uh, we may suppose that, that prophecy, as we understand that term in English, that means you know, receiving a direct message from God, okay, I got it, and telling the people about the future, right? Uh, That God tells you what's going to happen later on in life, later on down the road, maybe judgment, maybe hope, and then the prophet goes and declares that to the people. Um, That's, generally speaking, I think, if I were to ask for a raise of hands, that's, generally speaking, our Western English understanding of the word prophecy. May I suggest that when Paul used that term here in Romans 12, um, that that was one of the further things from his mind. Not the furthest. Was a prophet one who, on occasion, was able to foretell the future? Of course. We see that all over the New Testament. We see uh, The Old Testament. We see many, many, many prophets of Israel receiving direct messages from God taking it to the people and warning the people about what's ahead. However, by the time of the New Testament, prophecy or the gift of prophecy in the office of the prophet had, um, and even in the Old Testament, we can discuss that, but prophecy and the understanding of prophecy had moved a little bit more toward the idea um, of receiving uh, of, of using timely words that were for the people of God. Now, we see this in the Old Testament as well, because the Old Testament prophets, though we call them prophets, if you look at the body of their material, if you look at their sermons, really, the, the, the readings that we read in Isaiah and Jeremiah, the, the readings of Malachi and, and Hosea and so many others, what these were, these were sermons to the people. 
They were, they were preaching to the people and, and they or others were recording it down. And if you consider the, the bulk of the sermon, the bulk of the message, the bulk of the prophet's message was not about foretelling the future. It was also about speaking to their situation right here and right now and speaking it in a timely manner, cutting to the heart of the issue, going straight to the core of what is happening in the life of the body. So also is the case with the office of the prophet in the New Testament. We're going to park our Bibles in 1 Corinthians 14 for a while. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Grab a Bible. You're going to want to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Just past Romans here. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. And by the way, this is why I add. uh, I don't just say that the gift stops at 1 Corinthians 12. It carries over through chapter 14 because Paul really goes into a lot of explanation of these gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 14, we, we meet a lot of instruction about the gift of prophecy, or in particular, the office of prophecy. And uh, let's start in verse 3 of chapter 14. Now, by, by way of preface, Paul is um, discussing, he's, he's evaluating the gift of tongues versus the gift of prophecy. And he's trying to tell the people that if the tongue goes uninterpreted, uninterpreted then the gift of prophecy is of more value than the gift of tongues. And this is what he says in verse 3. He writes, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Is that your idea of an Old Testament prophet? (laughs) Not always mine. Uh, Usually it's like warning, judgment, watch out. But here we see, well, you can get that in edification. But here we see an indication that the, the, the one who prophesies is the person who is speaking words, okay, using, uh, is a speaker, who uses words of edification, of encouragement, of comfort. Edification can include warning, of course. Here we learn, okay, that, that a prophet speaks, that his words are edifying, encouraging, exhorting, uh, uh, comforting. In other words, they're timely. A prophet speaks timely words, we should say God's timely words to those who need to hear them. It is related to the gift of exhortation, but uh, it's a little bit more than that. In that the prophet's words motivate others to turn their lives toward God. But more to the point, a prophet's words are motivating because, and write this one down, because they are convicting. A prophet speaks timely words that are convicting. A prophet is one who has an ability to cut right to the heart of the matter and speak a timely message to the people of God. Notice um, later on, Paul talks also about the office of prophecy in verse 24. And as we begin to read this, now he's actually relating the gift of prophecy to even those who come in who don't even know the Lord. Most of the time, spiritual gifts are mentioned as for the body of Christ, for Christians only, to, to, to edify the body, to build it up. But Paul mentions that the gift of prophecy also reaches out in many ways to touch an unbeliever who comes in to the life of the church. Notice what he says in verse 24. But if all prophesy, and he's actually saying this in a good way, if we prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced. He is convicted. 
And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's interesting. Paul mentions that those with the gift of prophecy, those who prophesy, are those who are those who when they speak, you feel it in your heart. Who when they speak, they frequently and regularly cut right to the heart of the matter. Can identify what is happening in the life of the church? Can identify and see weakness, areas that need improvement? Who can identify things that need to be warned about? Calling attention, calling the body's attention to something that must be done. That is the gift of prophecy, as Paul understands it. A prophet cuts right to the heart. Speaking words that are compelling, convicting. Words that the Spirit will use to cause life change. So we can say that a prophet is a bold person. Bold enough to call out those who need to repent and turn to God. But in their boldness comes a word of caution. And Paul mentions this word of caution beginning in verse 29. And he says, in the prophet's boldness, if, if, if you believe that you have this a gift of prophecy, an ability to cut right to the heart of the matter and to speak bold words, regardless of how they, may be, how they may be received. If you know it to be true, if you know it to be from God, and you give it to the church, Paul says, but there's one little caveat here. He says the church gets to evaluate and demonstrate if what you say is in fact true. Notice verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Judge what? Judge what they say. Let the church, after hearing from two or three prophets, let the church judge the bold words. Let the church judge the charge. Let the church judge the words of conviction. Verse 30. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. But the spirit and the spirits, he says, of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What's Paul talking about there? You know, the, the New Testament church, I wish, I wish we could uh, sit in on a mock New Testament church today. Um, it was nothing like what we're doing uh, here in the sense of um, you know, we've got on our bulletin, we've got an order of service. Um, you know, we can, okay, we're going to go from prayer to this to that. And then the, the guy's going to speak for 45 minutes. And then, okay. Um, in the New Testament church in the first century, it was very, very um, multifaceted, um, it, on occasion very spontaneous. Uh, there were many who would teach in the New Testament uh, first century church. There were many who would rise up and say words that they had 
uh, learn from the Scripture. Uh, prophets would rise up and speak words of boldness to the people. Two or three prophets would rise up at different occasions, speak words of instruction and conviction, and there'd be songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It was a very multifaceted service. One that didn't go through a... There, there was order and there was structure to it, but it wasn't like our churches in the West are today. And Paul is saying, in the midst of two or three prophets rising up to speak these bold words, let there be order. Everyone will get their turn, Paul says. Let the church judge their words. And above all, the spirit of the prophet, that is to say, his demeanor, the person's demeanor, is to be in subjugation to him. He is not to be uh, excessively flamboyant. He is not to be rash. He is not to in any way be, be, be violent or, 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 or uh, you know, barbaric in his expression. You know, I, I hear of, of pastors today who, uh, there's this one pastor who uh, every once in a while he'll, he'll throw out a cuss word. And he says, oh, I do it because I really want to, I want to really identify with the people. And I think to myself, that's what Paul's talking about there. Having your body in subjugation to yourself. Knowing that that's not appropriate for the church. It's, you, don't, you don't need to throw out a cuss word to identify with the people. You just don't. And a prophet, those who speak boldly, they tend to be passionate. They tend to be people who, um, you know, they, they, they just, man, they're go-getters. And they hear from God in their prayers, in their study. They, they, they survey the church and the situation and they speak a word that is timely, that the church judges and evaluates. That, friends is the gift of prophecy. And by the way, turning back to Romans 12, turn back to Romans 12, when Paul says in verse 6, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, what he means by that is 1 Corinthians 14, in agreement with the church. In agreement with the church. He's not to speak bold words that the church looks at and says, I don't think that's right. I don't think what you're saying is true. Instead, he is to cautiously, this person is to cautiously and carefully speak these words such that the church will receive it well and that it will be in proportion to the faith. That it will be in agreement with the, the Word. That it will be in agreement with the church. So who is a prophet? This is who is a prophet. Someone who knows exactly, exactly what God wants to do in a given ministry situation. Someone who has a strong sense of what God wants to say to people in response to particular situations. A prophet is one who has a desire to speak God's Word even if they know it will not be well received. And I mean by that to say that words of truth that they know will be heard um, with difficulty, but nevertheless with truth. That is the office of the prophet. Let's move on to a much easier one. The office of ministry. Here we go. Beginning in verse, uh, in verse 7. We're going to run through these a lot faster, I promise. Or ministry, Paul says, let us use it in our ministering. Well, what is ministry? The reason we don't need to spend as much time on these last uh, six gifts is because they are very self-evident. Ministry is service. When we think of ministry, we should be thinking of like Acts 6 when the deacons serve the widows. 
We should be thinking of those who go out and serve orphans, according to the book of James, chapter 1. We should be thinking of those who have a tendency to want to serve and help people. Who have a joy when they can just simply serve another individual. And I know that there are many in this church who I believe have the gift of ministry. Those who have the gift of ministry. Someone who serves not caring who gets the credit. Someone who the Spirit impresses upon to do something for someone that touches them deeply. A person with the gift of ministry might say that uh, they enjoy doing routine tasks that have led to others becoming more effective in ministry. Maybe this person likes to work in secret than have their work recognized in public. A person with the gift of ministry loves to help when someone is facing a crisis. And, And so here we have the first two gifts, by the way, notice prophecy is a speaking gift speaking those bold words, and ministry is a serving gift. It's a helping gift. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, those are exactly the two categories that Peter uses for all the gifts. He says, if if you're a speaker, do it. If you're a server, do it. And and so you you can categorize all the spiritual gifts in terms of is it a speaking gift, more of a leading speaking gift, or is it more of a serving kind of helps gift? You can kind of identify the gifts in those manner. Uh, Let's continue on. How about the gift of teaching? Obviously, a little bit self-explanatory. Teaching is what I'm doing right now. It is expositing the Word of God. It is explaining difficult and easy and is explaining the Word of God. It is communicating God's truth to others. And so those with the gift of teaching is one who enjoys studying the Bible and loves to share insights with others. A teacher is one who loves the classroom, helping others to learn biblical truth. Those with the gift of teaching are competent in speaking and communicating. They devote considerable time to learning new Bible truths. Of course, you remember with the gift of prophecy, there were some caveats, remember? Paul said, those with that gift, they're going to be judged by the church. So also it is with teachers. James says that teachers will incur a stricter judgment before God. And so those with speaking gifts in particular need to be mindful of the fact that they will incur a more strict judgment. What about the gift of exhortation? Often termed encouragement, though I I don't know that that's precisely what's in view, but that's a part of it. The gift of exhortation, Paul writes, he who exhorts in exhortation is someone who enjoys speaking uplifting words to others who are discouraged? Do you enjoy motivating others to a higher spiritual commitment? Do others seek you out when they are depressed or discouraged? Are you someone uh, to whom many people run for advice and for exhortation and encouragement? An exhorter is one who urges others to seek biblical solutions to their afflictions, who challenges others without making them feel condemned, who, and this is a, I think this is an important one, who others will seek their correct, others will seek out and say, how can I improve? They'll seek out exhorters and ask exhorters, how can I get better? And the reason they'll do that is because they know that you're on their side. You're an encourager. You're an exhorter. You're one who will help them apply basic life skills. St. Hodges wrote, 
the exhorter is skilled at stirring up the proper response to truth. Whereas the teacher is gifted in expounding and explaining the truth. And one, one of the interesting things, if you look at, if, if you notice these, these uh, first three speaking gifts, we have prophet, we have teaching, we have exhorting. Um, I would submit to you that almost every pastor has one of those three gifts. Prophet, teaching, or exhortation, or a combination of two or three. And the reason I would submit that is because, number one, they're all speaking gifts, and that's what um, those who are teaching pastors do. But number two, you, you, you know of those pastors. Those pastors who are bold, who speak with great authority. And when people listen, it's like you're all kind of cowering in your seat a little bit. And they cut right to the heart of the matter. That's a prophet. That's a pastor who's a prophet. He has a boldness about him. Cuts right to the heart. And then you have the teachers, who I think I would more identify with. These are those who are, who are more careful with the Word, who like to, to dig into some of the details of the Word, who like to grapple with some of the words and identify some of the nuances and really carefully explain God's Word. And then you have the exhorters. And these are the pastors who really inspire you as they preach. They really motivate you. They, 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 you leave their messages and you're like, now I know what to do. Now I know how to live. And the challenge of being a pastor, a teaching pastor, is that you really need all three. You, really, you need boldness. You need carefulness in God's Word. And you need exhortation. But few pastors have all three of those gifts. And so when you're listening to someone who's teaching God's Word, you need to show them a, a measure of grace. And I don't say this about me. I say this to anyone who's teaching God's Word. They don't have all three of these gifts. In some cases, you're going to get somebody who just inspires you. Love that person for who they are and what they have gifted you in the body of Christ. They're inspiring. Others are going to teach you. Others are going to be bold and come right to the heart of the matter. Whoever the pastor or teacher is, recognize that they have their own place as a teacher and that they're trying to be all things to all men. But it's not their natural bent. And so, a healthy church is one who has a variety of teachers, quite frankly, who can be bold at times, who can be careful with God's Word at times, and who can be uh, encouraging and motivating at times. I wonder if, as you consider uh, your own uh, tendency, what you like in the pew, um, I, I wonder if you can learn to appreciate some of the things that are not your natural inclination. Um, obviously, we're inclined to certain preachers. I listen to preachers online and, and whatnot. I need to be mindful. That I need to listen to a variety. A variety. We've got a few more left, and then we're, we'll be uh, through here. Number, uh, number five gift, giving. Paul writes, he who gives with liberality. Now, of course, we're all called to give, but Paul is speaking particularly here of someone who goes beyond the call of duty. This is someone who gives sacrificially assured that God will meet their needs. Someone who enjoys meeting other people's needs. Someone who might be inclined to live a lower standard of life that others might benefit from their gifts. And, and maybe in that way, you could say involuntary poverty is, is a, an aspect of this, an aspect of it. Someone who seeks to find ways to give others, give to others without calling attention to themselves. That's a giver. Are you a giver? Leading. He who leads with diligence. This gift is especially true among elders and church leaders. 
This is someone who others are willing uh, to, uh, to accomplish tasks for. Uh, this is someone who can delegate tasks and who can delegate opportunity and that the people rise up and recognize that leadership and follow it. This is someone who can rally the troops in serving the church or giving aid to others. And finally, the gift of mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness or graciousness. I love those with the gift of mercy. I have nothing of it. Um, And I need it. I need it from you. I need to learn more about the gift of mercy. This is someone who feels great emotion and compassion for the problems and plight of others. I want that more and more in my life. And and I I really do look at those who have the gift of mercy to teach me in this. A, A person with the gift of mercy has someone who spends time with those who are suffering from physical, emotional, or mental problems. Perhaps even visiting hospitals or retirement homes. This is a person who tends to identify, who, who, who looks out and who identifies someone who is alone and who goes to them and befriends them. They're, they're always watching out. Who, who, is, who needs a friend? Who needs love? Who needs care? There we have it. Seven gifts that you've become acquainted with. And I, and I said today, this would be an acquaintance. This is the start of a few, ser- a few messages on the issue of spiritual gifts. We've learned what a prophet is. We had to spend more time there because we had to identify what that means. I believe the gift of prophecy is for today. I believe that. Um, I believe that as Paul understood it, it's for the church today. It is primarily speaking bold words cutting straight to the heart of the matter. And I personally have met very few that I would say have the gift of prophecy. I've met, I, I know of a few, and, and I tell you, I wholly appreciate being around those kinds of people. And if you have inclinations to speak bold words, pray and ask God to help you develop that more fully, because the church can benefit from it. You've seen the gift of ministry, service. You've seen the gift of teaching, the gift of leading, giving. Leading, uh, giving, mercy, exhortation. So we've seen, we've become acquainted with some of these gifts. And you might be thinking, well, you know, this is well and good and I'm glad we're doing this study, but I don't know if, if this is for me. I don't know if, if, Neil, I don't know if I should be really identifying what my gift is and serving in the church. I kind of like to step back. I kind of like to just, you know, be behind the scenes. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about my strengths. I want to be more humble or something like that. I want to say to you today, it is not a matter of of pride identifying and exercising your spiritual gift. It's a matter of necessity. The church needs it. The church needs you to participate in the body of Christ and exercise your spiritual gift. And by way of closing, in the mid-1900s, there was a pastor... And uh, he was typing, he had a typewriter, and he was typing up a message on spiritual gifts. And he was having great trouble as he was typing up his message. He, in particular, he was, he was so frustrated because he was trying to exhort, right? He was trying to exhort and motivate and challenge and inspire the people to seek out what their gift is and to use it in service. But he just was at a loss for how to communicate 
that inspiration, how to communicate that motivation. And sure enough, as he's typing out his message, one of the keys started to malfunction. He, he was typing and all of a sudden he clicks the E and an X shows up on the page. And he clicks it again and another X shows up on the page. And he's frustrated and he's, he's going, my goodness, what am I going to do? How am I going to type up this message? And then the Lord gave him an idea. And he pulled out a new sheet of paper, put it in the typewriter, and began typing out a message. He took that message, he made copies of it, and he handed it out to every one of his parishioners. And this is what it read. Sometimes, it seems to me, that our church is something like my typewriter. Not all the key people are working properly. As one of them, you may say to yourself, well, I am only one person. I don't make or break the church. But it does make a big difference because a church, to be effective, needs the active participation of every person. So, the next time you think your efforts are not needed very much, remember my typewriter and say to yourself, I am a key person in the congregation and I am needed very much. Beloved, don't be a broken key. Isn't that amazing? Change one letter out of 26 letters in the alphabet and you get a message. You're looking at it like, how did you read that? Because I practiced. <laughs> I mean, one letter. Change the E to the X. And you look at a message you're like, ah, it's hard to read. It's hard to understand. Guess what? Each one of you have a gift. You have at least one. And if you don't use it, if you don't know what it is, and if you don't use it, this is what the church looks like. This is what it looks like. But when you do use it, then the message becomes clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for timely messages. And God, I know, I know it's no coincidence that we are where we are in Romans. Now, Father, I, I ask that You would help us to be empowered by our spiritual gift to serve and edify the body of Christ. Father, we cannot rely on the pastor, on the staff, on the elders, on certain people to do all the work. Nor can the leaders of the church, Father, nor can the leaders expect to do all the work for the church. And that must be balance, God. And we, as a congregation, seek that balance. Father, we want every working part to come into harmony with one another. And I ask Your Spirit to guide us in this study. Show us, Lord, what it is, our spiritual gift. Show us how to use it. Show us how we can become a part of the body of Christ and bring clarity to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.